Hello, welcome to Sheffield Board Gamers Podcast. This is episode six, and I'm joined today by Tom C. Hello, Tom. Hello, Rick. And I'm joined by the other Tom as well, uh, Tom L. Hello, Tom. Hi, Rick. Hello, thank you both for joining me. It's fantastic to have you with, with us today. Uh, we're going to talk about a few things. We're going to talk about uh, the board games that we've been playing recently at the club. We've got Craig, who's going to tell us about a game that he's been playing. Uh, I've not really been playing many games recently. I've been on holiday. I've been to France for a week, which was very nice. Part of that involved a four-hour ferry trip. So I've played a played a couple of uh, filler games while we were on the ferry crossing over. It, it was a bit bumpy coming back, <laughs> but but going there it wasn't too bad. Filler games? You could have played Twilight Imperium on that. Did you lose your stomach? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. um, we only played uh, quick games. Um, we played uh, Zombie Dice. It was just like a quick uh, dice game, and a couple of other quick quick card games while we were there. Uh, one of the things that we did is while we were over over in France, we we went went around uh, some of the some of the cities and towns in there. Um, I did. We were in uh, Normandy, which is in the northern part, and I did have a look at uh, Carcassonne to see how far it was. Uh, and unfortunately, that's on the southern part of France, near Spain. Uh, from where we were stopping, it was about an eight-hour drive. So I would have loved to have gone there, but um, bit bit too far for this for this journey, unfortunately. Yeah, that'd be a bit much. We did go to Bayeux, uh, home of the famous tapestry. And there's a mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful abbey there as well. Uh, we oh, did right, a bit yes. of shopping, so we walked around there. And one of the uh, one of the shops there is a board game shop. So I actually managed to find one in France. <laughs> so I popped in there and had a quick look around. I can't, I can't actually find out what it was called. Uh, I've had a look on Google Maps and I've tried to find out where... It, uh, I know exactly where it was, but I could try to find out the name. But I think it must be quite a new venture because when I looked on the uh, on the Google Maps, it was a sushi place. <laughs> and it's definitely not that now, so I think it's quite a new endeavour. You sure it's not Sushi Go? <laughs> they really should have that, shouldn't they, in the window? Uh, it's, it's quite nice. It was only a little shop. It wasn't very big at all. But full of hobby games. They had uh, Fireball Island set up. Uh, that's Ooh. the the one by Restoration Games with like a big uh, mountain with marbles and things. That's quite impressive. So I had that set up there because I'll have a look around and, and you know have a go if you wanted. And then there's a little room in the back that had uh, Jamaica set up. I don't know if you played that one, but that's like a race game where you're racing around the island yeah, of Jamaica. Cool. So they had right. that out with all the cards and the dice and everything. So that was cool. Oh, that sounds good. They had they had a good uh, a good variety of games. Um, they they had some some games all all in French, obviously. So you brought some back for translating then? Yes, yeah. Funnily enough, I did. I, uh, I invested some of my euros in the local economy, and I bought uh, Hanamikoji, which is just a little a little card game. So I'll probably talk about that on a future podcast at some point. That sounds like it's an Oriental themed game that you bought in France. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's about geishas and buying them presents and things like that, but nothing to do with French at all. <laughs> They did have Carcassonne, obviously, and they had um, quite a few Asmodee games. I think Asmodee is a French company, so they had a few of their uh, a few of their games. They had Seasons, which I don't see very often on sale over here, and they had both the expansions as well, which are quite hard to come by. I think it's a fantastic game, and I did notice that some of the games over there as well they had different box art, so the same games but different boxes, Citadels is one we're going to talk about later on, I think, but that had a different box, but exactly the same game. Uh, different artwork and everything in there, which is a bit strange. And um, there was another one. What was the other one? Um, oh, For Sale. Uh, for oh. Sale. I've played um, Sam's Copé at the club, uh, and, and that's the one that's available in the West. But the one in France that's available, it's uh, by a different publisher, different artwork, um, slightly different, yeah, slightly different. So I was, I was uh, happy to support the... Uh, Support the new venture there and um, buy something from the from the shop. So that was quite cool. I know there's a, a lot of games come out of France. They've got quite a few different publishers and um, designers. Yeah, so I yeah. presume there must be quite a big game playing sort of culture there. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, um, uh, I don't know if there's any actual groups. I'd never looked on. I could have looked on Board Game Geek or something. We didn't really get time to to have a look. If I was staying a bit longer, I probably would have had a look and seen if there was a you know an English speaking group there playing a, a games at some point. But we didn't get time to do that. Uh, but yeah, there was um, as well as the sort of big big games that were there. There were a few there were a few indie ones and a few that I didn't recognise as well, which I presume were from either local designers or are just available in France. So yeah, I would have quite liked to have tried some of those or seen seen them in a bit more detail. But um, that was quite interesting. I always think the um, the thing I noticed about games coming from French publishers is they they really 
pushed the look of the games, and they, they were the first to produce really sort of spectacular-looking things. Takedo. I mean, Seasons actually that you mentioned is the first game box that I noticed had um, on the front cover. Not only did it list the designer, it listed the artist as well. So, yeah. I wonder if that's why some of the games are slightly different then, because they're not really happy with the, you know, they don't think the artwork that that we get in the UK would sell particularly well, so they have to redesign it and put it in a new box and things, possibly. Yeah, get the one French to do it. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. Uh, what, what have you guys been doing? I, I would say recently, but I think it was beginning of August, um, Tom and I, we both went down to London for Board Game Development Com. Yeah, road trip. So we, we got up nice and early. I think it was half past six I picked Tom up, and we chunted down at the M1 to that there London, and spent a fun day in the smog. Although it's not the, the central smoggy. It was actually lovely. Yeah, yeah. It, it was actually really nice. I met a load of people. Um, it was hosted by Bez and... Andy. Thank you, Andy. Yeah, there was about 20 or so of us over the course of the day. Yeah, something like that, yeah. And um, intro meetup at the beginning. Everyone gave a brief sort of three-minute talk about what they did. And then there's sort of a break for lunch and then sort of series of 10 to 20 minute talks in throughout the rest of the day. So you sort of like a after lunch session and then um, an afternoon session of talks and things. And yeah, it was, it was really interesting. There's lots of discussions about two or three people discussed board game art and one of them had done a sort of gamified their artwork as they're an art student, and that was a really interesting look on things. Another artist was talking about how there's a lot, in some respects, some of the styles, there's a lot of homogeneity, and not necessarily pushing, pushing some of the more um, variety in styles that are becoming uh, around in sort of more modern art, if that makes sense. There was discussions from about... Um, a type of LARPing, freeform LARPing, which seemed really interesting. Um, you had a very established games publisher, Secret Stare Games. Um, they talked about all of their... Surprised Stare. Surprised Stare. Surprised Stare. Sorry, yes. One of the things I hadn't realised, Tom, was actually that it was Stare as in A-R-E. I, for the whole day, thought <laughs> it was A-I-R. And it was like, whoops. <laughs> So, yes, um, yeah, there, there was lots of things being discussed. It was very interesting, um, good to meet up with a diverse bunch of people. What are your thoughts on it? It was a diverse bunch of people, wasn't it? I mean, we had um, artists and designers and wannabe designers and a few publishers, and it was just nice having everyone coming together and sort of putting their own perspective on things. Yeah, Tom gave a talk about the the parallels between the scientific process and the game design process, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there were a surprising number of scientists in the room, so they all sort of were nodding along with that. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't watch that bit. I was just quietly bricking it in front of everybody. <laughs> that, that's, it went really well. Well, that's, that's the difficulty. You normally stand in front of sort of, you know, it's fine standing in front of non-scientists when it was apparent that there was a 30-30 split that... A, third of the people there approximately were artists of one way shape or form a third were approximately scientists of one way shape or form and a third were everything else would you say that's about fair yeah i mean the everything else <laughs> yeah i think so yes uh, how, how long was it for was it just like a daily a daily thing or was it over a weekend or it was just the one day morning till evening yeah i think i left about 7 seven thirty ish and i drove back well i drove didn't go back to sheffield i drove to gloucester to pick my son up for my mum's um, although because I got up so early, um, I'd say the drive back was nice. I had um, a can of one of the highly caffeinated things, and I, I, I was kind of half driving, half flying by the time I arrived back in Gloucester. <laughs> but, but the difficulty oh, yeah. was get, get leaving Sheffield at six thirty in the morning, and I don't know about you, gents, but I find that when I have to be somewhere at an early time, I set my alarm. And I always wake mm. up before the alarm. It just so happened on that Saturday, <laughs> I woke up 45 minutes before the alarm. I was not. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah, I, it was like, you know, five, ten minutes you can cope with. But, yeah, I, I was up sort of at five-something when I didn't need to be. But it was a good day. You went, though, Tom, to the playtesting on the su- Sunday in London. Yeah, so I stayed uh, for the Sunday as well. And there was a... Uh, so rather than 
going out and seeing the sights of London. I just went to a playtesting session, so yeah. <laughs> and that was really fun. Meeting up with people and trying their games, and yeah, people that I see like once a year at UK Games Expo. Ah, oh, it's you! Ah, oh, finally might get to try your game again. Yeah, a, a weekend of gaming. It's great. Yeah, it was it was very well run. It was very enjoyable, and as we know, um, the gaming community, everyone is just so friendly. Hmm. That yes, everyone. That's just the best bit. You can rock up somewhere. There's, I think, I knew four or five people at the start, um, mm. and yeah, everyone was just very friendly. They were happy to talk to you throughout the whole day. Yeah, I think the best bit uh, was. Uh, in between the the main talks, just everyone having a chat about things and mm-hmm. you know, chatting around um, various things that they'd, they'd thought of during the talk and saying, "Oh yeah, that thing you said." Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, it's, it was just good talking to people. So that that was the beginning of August. Um, at the end of August, um, the August bank holiday. Can you remember how nice and warm it was? we having that mm. heat Yeah, it was great. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was in a room with a thousand plus other people in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> So I've gone to the Tabletop Gaming, <laughs> Tabletop Scotland convention. Apologies, uh, gentlemen in Scotland, um, getting the convention wrong. Yes, uh, it was brilliant. It, I went last year for the first time because it was the first time last year and went again. And they increased their numbers by 54%. So I think unique attendees were something like 1,500. Um, and it was about 2,200 total numbers so if you include repeats from the Saturday and the Sunday um, oh, wow. that's pretty good yeah but the place you know the convention center Dewar center has got the space for people but it's in Scotland so number one they don't think that they'll ever see the heat ever and number two <laughs> um, one of the halls is normally an ice rink for curling and so on during the winter months so why the heck do you need air conditioning when you've got a dirty great big slab of ice to keep everyone cool Except for the summer heatwave when you've got, two, you know, a thousand odd people in here. <laughs> but it was, it, being serious though, there was lots of families. I would say the unique thing about Tabletop Scotland is how they get not just adults, but you get parents with kids and there's loads of kids there. Um, oh, and great. I know you've got... Um, the family gaming zone at Aircon, which is good, and I know you've got that at um, UK Games Expo, but I think the relative proportion of families to non-families at um, Tabletop Scotland is just higher, um, and they just I think they've done something with the marketing to really encourage the families in, which is really nice to see. There's mm. buckets of gaming space for people. Um, but they've also done different things um, as well. So you've got seminars like other places do. You had Eye of the Beholder, for which was all to do with the Dungeons and Dragons artwork and things like that. So they had a showing of that on the Saturday and on the Sunday, which was cool. I didn't go to the one on the Saturday because I was in the pub quiz, which was a gaming pub quiz. Um, which I, the team I was in, we did very middling (laughs) we were neither (laughs) but we were not good either so it was very very middling um and but i'm going to blame being tired at the end of the day rather than being rubbish but um (laughs) and um what else was of note yeah there's a couple of games i want to talk to you about from there um one which was what i played saturday night which was shifty i spies we'll get onto that in a little bit the other one i didn't play at all but Yay Games, who are a brilliant um, UK outfit, um, you may have played Omino's from them in the past, or Frankenstein's Body, or Sandcastles. Their new game, which is Tales from the Deep Dark Wood, is coming out in October, and it's based on the Gruffalo. And my son went over, my son's six, and he played it, and he absolutely loved it. Now, Brandon has played Omino's before, so he's... He does play some games and some sort of ones, but he absolutely fell in love with um, Tales from the Deep Dark Woods. So anyone who's sort of thinking about what to get small people for Christmas, I would strongly recommend it. And you're also supporting um, UK designer and publishing team. So 
when you say uh, when you say based on the Gruffalo, is it actually they've got the IP or is it just they've got the IP and the same sort of idea? No, no, no. It's they've not got the IP. Okay. They have got the IP. Well done them. They've got all the artwork that and yeah, um, Andrew Harmon, lovely chap. He's done a. From what I can tell, I've not played it, but I've got the um, a six-year-old who says his say so is um, that it's a fun game. So you know, I think that's all the recommendations you need, really. Praise indeed. Sounds good. Yeah, Great. it's good that they um, encouraging families to visit and, and play these kind of games because I'm sure probably the same as uh, same as myself, you guys, you've got fond memories of playing games, you know, with like family members and things like that when you were younger, and that sort of bring you bring mm-hmm. that forward, yep. you know, don't you, and play uh, when you, when you're playing sort of games now. So yeah, it's good that they're encouraging that. Yeah, very much so. As I said, I'd love to be able to tell you more about it. I wasn't the one that played it. I could, um, I was at the Red Dog Game Stand at the time. My wife was with our son, and he was playing it. I could, and yeah, he was just enraptured. Um, so, really, but that was cool. They they also did other nice bits. I think there was a hobbycraft zone. So the biggest issue about that hobbycraft zone was the kids loved it, and there wasn't enough. It was a victim of its own success. That actually, some of the adults that wanted to learn how to paint miniatures and things didn't really have an opportunity because it was just swamped with um, mainly children wanting mm. to learn and you had throughout the Saturday, I remember at two o'clock on the Sunday, the gentleman there saying to people, look, you're going to have to stop for a little bit, I need to go for my lunch. <laughs> and it was a case of the, the, the chap was hardcore, you know, he was doing it all day, he was a lovely guy, I had a bit of chat with him um, as well, but yeah, very, very popular. And it, it kind of worked for the event. I know you've got Games Workshop do some at UK Games Expo on their stand, but this was kind of a little bit independent um, and just a, a very good painter. I don't know if the guy is professional or not, but he could really teach people and he could actually connect with the kids as well oh, to help good. them. Yeah, it's good. It's good to show, uh, good to show like different sides of the hobby as well, isn't it? So I know there are some yeah. like RPG games for, for for kids as well, and getting them into sort of yeah. hobbying and. Uh, model making and painting and things like that again that's a you know a really good thing i think definitely definitely and it's uh, yeah it's it's great to hear that people are encouraging that and uh, yeah moving that forward i got my little niece as a, a game called no thank you evil which is a yes i've seen that one it's like rpg thing you've got a, a little character sheet based on like three different things yeah, yeah well um I've, I've started um playing another one i think it I'm trying it out. It's I think it's Adventures Maximus um, at home. So myself, my wife, and our son, and he, he's enjoying it. I'm just finding parts of the system a little bit clunky, if that makes. You know, it's nice for a very quick, just chuck stuff together and play thing. But I, th- I think there could be a little bit more in details about that. But I had seen No Thank You Evil and thought, oh, that's a good one to get. Um, but unfortunately, it was out of its initial print run. The Kickstarter had finished for its second one, not available to buy at the time I was looking. It was like, damn it. <laughs> so you're going to have to report on a future episode your thoughts on No Thank You, Evil Tom. Okay. That is No Thank You, comma, Evil Tom. <laughs> yes. So have we got a good Tom and an evil Tom now then? Is that how I'm going to refer to you? Well, I've been the Games Master for a couple of <laughs> Uh, so on to some games that we've played recently then so like I said I've not played uh, not played many games we uh, we met up for bank holiday gaming session one of the games we played in that uh, in that session was Century Spice Road and this was a Golem edition this is a, a kind of engine building card game where mm. you're uh, getting gems and then you turn the gems in for golems and the golems will get your points basically. So you get four actions on your turn that you can do. You do one of these actions. And you can play a card which will either get you some gems or it will let you convert some gems into a different colour. So there are four different coloured gems and they go up in um, difficulty to get hold of. So some are, some are rarer and some are easier to get hold of. So the cards will let you... Uh, exchange gems so you might exchange three yellows for a red or a red and a green for a blue or something along those lines Uh, the second thing you could do is buy a new card so there's a display in the center of the table with some cards which you can pay for and then put into your hand and then that'll give you uh, give you extra stuff and extra exchanges to make when you when you play a card you can buy a point card so there are some golem cards at the top which you have to 
pay for with gems. So basically what you're doing is you're trying to build an engine with these cards to to get enough gems to buy the golems because they're generally more expensive. There might be five or six gems to buy one of these and it'll have a little points total in the corner. So that's how many points it's worth. And then the final thing that you can do is you can rest. So when you rest, you basically pick up all your cards that you've played in that turn. They go back into your hand ready to be to be used again. So it's between two and five player game, I think. And this is... Century Spice Road uh, and the Golem Edition are, are both two separate games, but they're both the same the same game. The artwork is different, and the the Spice Road one has cubes instead of gems. But apart from that, they're, they're exactly the same. So it's just personal preference. So it's just a reskin. It's just a reskin. Yeah, it's just the artwork is different. They're both both the same. Okay. But uh, either one of these games is really good. Um, it's it's quick to play. Um, takes about forty five minutes. Part of the quickness is you you only do one action each each turn so you, you might play a card and yeah. take a couple of gems or exchange a couple of gems and then that's it so someone else will do something similar someone else will pick up and it's your turn again so if, if everybody's picking up if everybody's resting then you know it could be like seconds before it comes down to your turn again so there's no there's a little bit of waiting if it's a longer game if it's like four or five players then obviously there's a bit more a bit more waiting involved but it's it's really quick to play um doesn't take long to to get some cards together that kind of combo. You're looking for combos of cards. So you want some that'll turn these yellows into reds, then the reds into some different colour, and that might give you an extra yellow. And then you do something else with those, and that'll turn into this one, and then you've got enough for the golems. So getting that combo right and getting your sort of chain of chain of cards right to get you those those gems that you're after is, is quite a good fun. Some of the golems are cheaper. Uh, so they, they, they use either, the easier gems and they use fewer gems to buy. Some some of them are more, uh, harder to get because you need some of the more expensive gems and the hard ones to get. So they, they take longer to get, but you get a lot more points for them. So there's a bit of a decision there. Do you just quickly get you know the ones that are that were available that are worth fewer points but are easier to get, or do you do you save up for the um, for the more expensive ones? Uh, one of the things is as well, you can obviously see what gems other people are collecting as well. So if you see a golem that's, that you need to pay four red for and somebody's got three reds, then you probably know they're going to go f- trying to get that one. So you can either race them to it or is it worth changing your strategy to go and try something else? So Yeah, the other side of that, though, is that uh, there's a card that you've mm. got exactly the right things for, so you could get it now yeah but you look around yeah. and no one else is going to get it so you, you might as well wait you can do something else build up your, your, your yeah. gems a bit more so for such a, a short and quick card game there's a lot of decisions there and there's a lot of tactics i think from turn to turn mm. you can yeah you can like say you've got quite a few options that you can that you can try and do the, the combination of cards you have to try and get the cards that you know working for working combination with the other cards that you've already got when, when do you pick up? Um, you don't necessarily want to use all your cards before you rest and pick them up again. You might only use two or three of them and then pick them up and use them again. That's not by maximum efficiency, though. It's getting your engine, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you, you want to try and be as efficient as you can. Yeah, yeah, get your get your engine building, get your gems, and then buy the, buy the points cards. It's a very pleasant game because everything you do just moves you forward. It's just... So- Optimizing mm. moving forward in the, in slightly faster than everyone else. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't realize that the Golem edition was literally Century Spice Road. So I'd always been thinking about mm. getting one of the Century games and didn't realize. And I thought, well, I want to get one. Can't see the point of getting four. Well, I now realize that there's absolutely no point to getting four. I thought Golem was its own standalone thing rather than a, a reskin. But it. Yeah, it's a really weird thing. Uh, as I understand it, the uh, the publisher sort of wasn't sure which of these two themes to go with for the games. Right. Uh, then they decided on the the Spice Road one, but they still had all the art and everything for the Golem one, so they released it at a very small sort of in the special edition thing. thing. But then people wanted it, so they published a few more of them. So now it is uh, there's lots of the Golem edition out there. But it is exactly the same game, and they they said they would never do the uh, Century Spice Road is now had two other games in that yeah. series. Uh, and they said the the Gollum one was just going to be that first one. But then they did. They went, oh, well, fair enough. People want it. We'll do it. Do the second game <laughs> with Gollums as well, which, again, is exactly the same game, but did different So things. they've reskinned yeah. the other two as well, so you can get the Gollum trilogy. As far as I know, it's only the second one at the moment. But presumably they're going to do <laughs> only the, the second one, so. one, but, yeah. I, I, I'm sure they will um, produce some boxes to help them print money. For the third one, um, so I'm assuming then that the Gollum 
but and gone to whichever. Um, isn't it um, Eastern Winds or whatever the standard one is? That's uh, Century Eastern Wonders. Eastern Wonders, sorry. Eastern Wonders, which one, is Gollum yeah. 2, yes? Yes, I don't know what they're calling Do that. those two boxes sit next to each other and make a larger diorama like the standard Spice Road Eastern Wonders and you will do? Oh, I expect so. See, that at least you've got to give them credit for going, you stick the three next to each other and it looks pretty. There, there was a one game series, I can't remember which one it was now, but they were all numbered. So on the, on the spine of the box, they all had a number. To collect the set. And that kind of encourages you to, to get the full set, even if you don't like a particular game. So it doesn't go one, two, three, five. <laughs> oh yeah, for completists. You could yeah. just go for the Fibonacci sequence. But yeah, it's a, it's a great little game. Um, the, the artwork's fantastic. The components, the gems themselves are nice, big chunky gems. I was going to say, it does look nicer than Spice Road, I would say. I have to tell you, I didn't really look at the art while I was playing it because I was just thinking, oh, pink, choosing two yellow, uh, changing two yellows to a, a green. I, I was just, I was just thinking about what I was going doing. I wasn't looking at the pictures. I mean, when you stop and look at them, it's, it's nice. Uh, the the golems are are all unique. So each golem cards, they're all doing something different. Yeah. So on one card, there's like a bridge and he's helping people across the river. In another card, the golems kind of rounding up the sheep and things like that. So. Yeah, you, you don't really. I mean, the fact that they've rethemed it and it's you know it doesn't make any difference to the game. That that sort of <laughs> points to not being that that relevant, really. But yeah, might be different for different people. But speaking personally, I think I had exactly the same experience as if I played Spice Road. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was Century Spice Road, and they, in particular the Golem Edition. So another uh, another quick game that I played that. Um, uh, this is one that we played on the uh, on, on the holiday. Was roll for it. This is uh, a quick dice game, a quick filler game. Uh, basically, you've got some cards which have dice printed on them, um, combinations of dice, and you have six dice that you can roll. So each each person has their own color of dice. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to match the dice that you roll to these combinations that are on the cards. So some of them are pretty easy. So you might have like a four and a five, for example, and that'll get you a couple of points. And then you might have another card which has got six fours on it. So, so and to get that one, you need to obviously roll all fours, which is uh, which is a lot more difficult and will take you a lot of time, but it's worth a lot more points. So the, the way it works is when you uh, when you get your turn, you roll all your dice, and then you assign these dice to the cards. So you don't have to decide, uh, assign all of them. You just pick and choose whichever ones you want. So if you're going for the one with six fours on it, you might have rolled three fours, for example. So you'd put your three dice next to that card. So it goes on to the next player and they roll some dice and they might put a couple of fours next to the same card and then it comes back to you again and you're rolling your dice hoping you're going to get some more fours and eventually if you do get all fours you can uh, you can pick up this card and add that to your points. Um, the first person to hit 40 points wins a game. So there's no theme to this at all, it's just purely rolling dice and matching up uh, matching them up to cards. But the strategy is risk the risk and reward of trying to pick which card you're going to go for. Do you kind of spread your dice out and, and go for a few different cards? You, you can sort of push your luck and hope that you get it before your opponent. He might have three or four dice already on a card. But if you roll just the right combination, you might pip into the post and, and pinch it before he gets his, you know, his last dice on there. And it's, uh, yeah, it's really quick. Probably takes about 15 minutes to play. Maybe a little bit longer with more players, but I think the version I've got plays up to six, I think it is. So that's obviously going to last a little bit little bit longer. But uh, yeah, this is another another good uh, quick filler game. There's no, no theme at all on this one. It is purely just rolling dice and matching up to the cards. A little bit of strategy. It's not one that you're going to play, you know, uh, over and over. It's not one where you're going to you're going to spend all night playing it. You probably play it a couple of times if that, and then and then put it away and move on to something else. But for for a quick game or a quick family game that you want to play, it's a, it's a good one. This this is a roll for it. It's kind of a get the grey cells warmed up for something a bit more in depth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't even have to really think about it. All you're doing is just matching your dice to your cards. So if it, if you know if it's the if it's late or if you're not particularly bothered or you just want something quick, then yeah, you can just play it as that. Or yeah, like say you can sort of strategize it a bit and try and play the play the dice and work out the combinations and things you can do it either way which i think is what good what what makes it good for a family game um you know you don't have to think too hard about it you just roll the dice see what you get and then try and match it as best you can well keeping on a, a dice throwing game um or card and dice throwing game um i picked up um when i was in the states um rice dice which is spirits of the rice paddy and mm-hmm. think that's a couple of years old no it's not it's from last year tell a lie 
um, and it's by Ape Games. Yep, from Ape Games, and it's a nice one to five player game. So I've played the one player version. I brought it into the club a few weeks back, and whilst I didn't play it there, I did see a bunch of other people giving it a go, um, and I played it at home. And they played your game without I, you. I was playing another game. At the how r- how no, rude! No, it's fine. I was playing. Quite, I, I, see, I wasn't going to talk about it, but I was playing a couple of games with Samuel, and as he's not here, I'm not talking about them. This evening, uh, okay. So yeah. I was playing other yeah. games. So I don't, you know, I don't mind. You know, games are there to be played. So I don't <laughs> care if people play my games without me. If they're enjoying themselves, that's fine. Absolutely. So. Uh, so often I bring in four or five games and I don't play any of them. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's about sharing the love of the card and the plastic yeah. and so on. So it yeah. says age 10 plus, which I can kind of guess. I don't, I don't know. I think it might that might be skewing a little high because I, you know, um, I've played it at home and my six-year-old was beginning to grasp it. I think six is too low. He, he does play a few other things, so that might help, might skew things a little bit. And there are certain nuances he was missing, but it's an it's a nice game where the principle is you've got you're a rice farmer, and you start off with your basic paddy um, card, and then you roll five dice, and they've got different symbols on them. So they've got worker symbols um, on a single one on one face, uh, two work on another face. You've got a card symbol, a water symbol, a weed symbol, and a wild card symbol. So you roll all your dice, see what you've got, and then you can choose to re-roll some others, uh, um, to re-roll any of them that you want. So you can either re-roll all five, or decide that you want to keep two of them and re-roll the other three. And then you have to make a decision as to which action you're going to do for the round. So if you wanted to go, you looked at your dice and went, I've got three workers on there, I want to do worker action this round, you take all of the workers, and any wild cards to do that. And so the different, so the number of symbols that are facing you is how much of that action you can do. And it's all about managing the workers on your rice paddies, but also the flow of water. So as you know, you need water in your paddies to plant your rice, but you need to get rid of the water to harvest it. And so managing and there's a limited amount of water, so if you've got more people, there's more water available. But similarly, it's got to go around people, so there's always a kind of a push for trying to get as much water onto your paddies and have them move from one paddy to the next paddy and off. And it's a really tight mix in that respect, so it's not just roll dice and see what happens. You've got to think about what options you're going for and how you're setting up the different rice paddies you are, because the card symbol enables you to add an extra rice paddy to your um, chain and I think you can have um, up to four four of them on uh, in front of you and that affects how much water is available for everybody else if you've got um, but they also do special things which is the spirit of the rice paddy element you've got I think five different spirits and some of them are more um, malevolent towards the others and so will do things with weeds and so move your opponent have to move the weeds around and paddies with weeds in them don't score you as many points as paddies without weeds and played it a couple of times i've enjoyed it there's a simplicity of gameplay but a complexity of strategy if that makes sense that's definitely the right way around yeah <laughs> complexity yeah. of gameplay but simplicity of strategy hmm, not many people going to go for that yeah i, I liked it <laughs> so is this game um, sort of the dice version of a bigger game, Spirits of the Rice Paddy, then? I think it is a dice version um, of Spirits of the Rice Paddy, yes. I've not played Spirits of the Rice Paddy. I've, n- I've never played that one either. So, yeah. um, I, I saw it, I thought it's a nice little box. I don't have many sort of dice-based games at home, so I thought I'll give it a go. And it was the sort of mechanics element that I was curious about, which is why I picked it up. And I, I like the way in which... It's not just a one to six on the dice, it's different symbols. And you do have an element of you could get a good dice throw, but actually there is the strategy in there that if the dice gods hate you, you still should be able to play fairly competitively. You'll just have to change your strategy a bit. I I really thought it was a nice game. It's good for up to five people, which does 
you know, it's not the sort of golden number. I like games that you can play up to six because I find one to four people is okay, but if you get a slightly larger group, you then struggle for games to play. So the fact that it's a five-player game is quite nice. It's easy to take to places. I think it's about the size of a pint mug, uh, pint glass, you know, um, in terms of approximate width and height and so on. So, um, yeah, really good size game. The artwork's nice, and I think it was around about 20 quid for a um, box, so it's not going to break your wallet either. So the uh, you, you said you played it one player. Is it like a score attack game? Then do you try and get a score of a certain amount? Or uh, no, it's you, there is a um, you have got an AI. So there is a special card, okay. which is the AI, which hmm. is the Happy Farmer for solo play. So I'm just going to read it out, which it says: Roll the dice, perform the action for the most rolled icon. If there is a tide, do the topmost action among those tied. So it's You've either release water or a farmer, the card symbol, or weeds. But basically, um, if you can't, if they can't do anything, they will score. So the um, happy farmer will be either doing something to increase on the dice track or scoring. So um, I didn't manage to play it all the way to the end, but it's quite nice that there is a way that you just roll the dice and you literally do as it says. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will score um, points even if it's absolutely rubbish. So, yeah, quite quite nice that they've managed to find an AI, so to speak, to play against. Yeah, that's good. A few games, um, I think it's becoming more popular, isn't it, to put a solo option in there for, for people to play when they've... You know, when they're on their own or if they've got some spare time. So, yeah, it's good that that option's available. And, uh, yeah, I quite like the idea of um, playing against the game rather than just trying to get, you know, like a high score or trying to beat your previous score or something like that. Yeah, sometimes I know some people play solo by doing I am player A and I'm playing and I'm player B. Mm. But at least this one, it's you and you are trying to beat the game, which is quite Yeah. I, I hinted on this one earlier. We played Shifty Eyed Spies mm-hmm. um, after the pub quiz. Um, at Tabletop Scotland. And it's a nice, I think it is a party based game. And it is what you do is you sit around a table um, with two, three, four, however other many people there are. And you've got cards um, and you pick them up. And one of them is the person you're trying to um, get to take a package from you. And the other one is a destination. And what you're trying to do is make eye contact with the person you want to take the package. They will then receive the eye contact and then indicate as subtly as possible where you're supposed to take the package to. <laughs> I love the sound of this one. It sounds great already. <laughs> and then when it comes round to you, you declare that I've made contact with you, Rick, and you'll be taking things to the book stand. Mm-hmm. But if Tom was wily, um, and he would go, ah, I'm calling you out, Tom, um, and say, you've got Rick to take it to this place. But at that point, he would get a card um, for, for actually correctly identifying. But if he'd got it wrong, then he'd lose one. Now, I may have had a couple of ciders, so I might have got things <laughs> a little bit wrong. And I had been on a stand from nine until six the whole day and was a wee bit tired. So, number one, I was rubbish at it, um, <laughs> as um, Sally and Mark and Ian can attest to. Um, but it, it was a fun game. And trying to get it explained as well, having the rules explained at that time, I didn't follow them completely. So all I would say is check it out. It is a great, fun game. But don't get me to explain the rules because I can understand them. The basic concept just sounds really good. I mean, you just go, ah, yeah. The concept is brilliant, which is why I loved playing it. But I I absolutely stank. You know? This is the only game that I've seen on the uh, shelves at my local Tesco, which I've considered buying. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, uh, the the box, I don't know if it's the same in Tesco, but the box has, like, eyes on it that move. It does, yeah, the holographic thing, yeah. So you... 
Yeah, no, they're, they're really yeah. cool. Um, so what I would say is, next time you're in Tesco, put the box next to your pack of tomatoes and your cold pipes. <laughs> um, and, uh, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's available in many other places, not just Tesco. But... I'm, I'm sure it is. Yes. Yeah, it, it does uh, sound good fun. This one uh, is—is is there an element of bluffing as well? Do you kind of can, can you sort of wink at somebody and, and not mean anything by that, and actually you're trying to? Speak no, to I think if I think if you wink at somebody, then that's considered to be. I think that's a kind of cheating. But you're you're trying to get that contact. I know. I, I think you could be as uh, as blatant as you like, but the more blatant you are, the uh, the more likely people are going to get you. Yeah. So you could stand up and say, "Oi, Tom, go to the library." But I think people might guess that you want Tom to go to the library. But... Yeah. Well, no. This is the thing. I would say, "Oi, Tom," and then you'd go library, and then Rick would know that I'm dro- t- dropping a package off for you, and you know, and that's what it's about. So yeah, um, and it is the fact that each player has only got part of the puzzle, but it gets really confusing when you've got sort of. So two people trying to communicate with each other. So I was playing and the person who was indicating to me, I was also indicating to them. So I think we also got our <laughs> eyes mixed. No, it was cross-eyed. Um, because basically we were trying to communicate to the other that I needed to know the location of where to go to from the other person. But so, what yeah. you thought, that, thought the other person was saying was, was yes, I've got the message, but <laughs> what they were trying to say was, you need to go there. Well, no, no, it was a case of, I've got yeah. the message, and now show me where to go to. And we were going, you've got, you've got the message, yeah? But you're the one that's doing the pickup, and yeah. Just yeah. completely yeah. insane. Um, so definitely worth saying, just not at the wee small hours <laughs> in Scotland after you've had a long day and a couple of drinks. I... I've just had the one game of this other, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but uh, I tend to back a few things on Kickstarter, but only, but I've restricted to supporting independent publishers and tend to be small things. So I've picked up a game which cost me a mighty £10 called Longboat, and it's by Mike K, and uh, it's really pretty, and it's a great game to play with kids. Uh, I played it with my son in the week. Uh, we spent a fun half an hour of putting sheep and Vikings down in front of us and stealing each other's loot and trying <laughs> to make the biggest boat possible. Um, and it is really easy to play. Um, it is literally, you get enough um, cards for how many people. So it's either two people, three people or four people. And you play three rounds, and you just have you're starting boat in front of you, and it's a bit like um, the games. Basically, you've got a set of twelve cards that are the river, and you take from the bottom. Whichever card you take from the bottom, you then put into your ship, and then the two cards above it drop down to the bottom, and you keep on going until there's none of those twelve cards left. But when the card goes into your boat, Sometimes they do things. So if it's a drummer, it enables you to move two cards on the river about. So affect which card is at the bottom to be collected, or if you take card X, then card Y, which would have dropped, has now been switched with a different one, which may or may not be so useful. Um, You've got the sheep, which are not very good for your opponent. So if you take a sheep, you don't put it into your boat, you put it into your opponent's boat. And sheep can't <laughs> row, so your boat gets slower. So this is the thing, you know, the most Vikings you get, the faster your boat, and fast boats are good boats and they score you points. But sheep don't row your boat, and so therefore you make your boat slower and this is bad. So sheep are negative points in terms of in terms of point scoring, but sheep have a shield. And shields of your same colour is a good thing. So what you want to do is, if I'm the red player, I want to put a red shield in my opponent's ship because that is a negative point to them. And because it's red and they're yellow or they're blue or they're green, they're not going to score any points. Whereas if I get a red sheep in my ship, 
Yes, it makes me slower, and so there's a negative point, but at least it's got a red shield, and so therefore it's going to score me some points um, for the other bit. And so there's this back and forth of what thing you want to take, whether you want to take a Viking because it makes you faster, whether you want to take loot because it scores you points, but loot can be stolen by berserkers, and it's really simple concept, nice artwork, tiny box. I mean, it's, it's not standard cards, they're really quite thin, and so uh, I can literally put the box in my hand <laughs> and go fingers all around it and hold it. So yeah, I, I can nearly get my thumb and finger together to connect it. So mm. you can literally just chuck it in your purse and take it with you to the gaming evenings. So yeah, nice game. I'd, I would recommend it and for the price. It does look good, yeah. I'm just having a look at the pictures on Board Game Geek, and uh, you're actually building up a longboat on there. You make an actual boat with all these guys on it, and I can see yeah. a sheep on there as well. So he's uh, he shouldn't be there. He's sat there with a drink yeah, and yeah, got a hat on and stuff. It's great. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, it, it's fun artwork. They've not got a lot, but what they what they have got, they make the most of it. And I just think, yeah, really, the. There's a lot of character in the artwork. They don't do much, you know, there's not really any variation between the sheep. Uh, but hey, it works. Um, so that was a game I played uh, this week because I'm, it turned up in, in my post literally a week or two ago, so I've not had much time to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I think with Kickstarter, I've, I've um, gone to only backing games from people I've actually met. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about you. Uh, no, I, I have backed things from people I haven't met, but there is a high proportion of supporting people I do know as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. And whilst in the past I have um, bought a couple of games from uh, the big people, I have moved away from that um, over the last couple of years. And I'm only really backing things that are from independents and and from the smaller guys, that basically going back to, by backing you, you're going to get the game made, rather than you've gone on to Kickstarter because actually they only take 10% of your revenue and you can make a killing, thank you very much. Um, yeah. And so, whilst I know it happens, I it, it's a bit more of a struggle for me to regularly do that. And... So I won't back anything by Call Mini or Not or Mantic anymore because, frankly, they are too big. I think things from companies such as Alley Cat Games, whilst you know they're, they're still at that mid-size where they still kind of need Kickstarter for some of their projects. I know not everything now is Kickstarter for them, and but I think they still need that element to keep going. But... The companies where you just see a ridiculous number of unlocks for hitting Mm -hmm. stretch goal X, stretch goal Y, stretch goal Z, and you know that they're just going to hit them because actually it's become a marketplace. I've shied away from that completely. Yeah, I've I've never never taken to that. I think it's a bit too... um... A bit too much like DLC in uh, downloadable content Mm -hmm. in video games. Yeah. 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 Yeah, all the stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Like it's if it's supposed to be part of the game, put it in. Otherwise, don't. Yeah. Some yeah. some of them are, are ridiculous as well. I mean, some of the games that I've seen, you get like a tall, you get the box itself with a game, and then they get stacks and stacks and stacks of expansions. You know, like four, five, six boxes with extra stuff in. And you know, do you think am I really ever going to play all that? Yeah, I mean, uh, what was it? The the Batman game. Yeah, last that's year. the one I was thinking about. Actually, like. spent hundreds <laughs> yeah. and hundreds of pounds just on. Bits for that game. I don't know. Mm. But the thing with Batman game is at least you get, if you like miniatures and you would like to paint them and make good use of them, I can kind of see that attraction and yeah. it is at least pretty. But I seem to recall because the way that they operate, they can't actually make a profit if they release it traditionally. Because of all the other bits and the cost and things, they need to. They're, the way they set up, but I think they've kind of shoehorned themselves into we must be Kickstarter only because we're doing it this way and because we're a big board, big miniatures game, I think, and I could be wrong here, I think that they can't actually get it into retail 
because of the margins are so slender. Yes, um, the last game I played, which I think you two told me you've played, is Citadels. Um, I've not played this one before. So I, I played that uh, this week, actually, on Wednesday. And um, nice little game. We just played the intro setup where you've got the assassin, the thief, magician, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I really like the concept of you're putting together your city and uh, you've got and a set of cards for the different characters and every player plays one of them and so there's an element of bluffing and second guessing and trying to work out which character's which because um, the different characters enable you to do different things. So the assassin, if um, someone's got the assassin, they go first and they get to choose one person to kill. Um, Now this is the difficulty. The assassin will know that there's one character because they're face up in the discard pile that's not there. And then there'll be some characters that are face down. And depending on where they were in going around the circle, uh, they will know who may or may not be about. And so they've got to try and second guess, hey, I want Bob to succumb because I think Bob's running away with it. And I've now got to try and guess what character Bob may have gone for from this limited amount of information. And so sometimes they get it right and go, yes, Bob will have decided to pick up the king because Bob went first and probably had the king there as an option. So I, as the assassin, will choose the king to be murdered. And then it will go on to the rank two player character, which is the thief. And they all do their own special thing. Now, if it gets around to Bob's t- um, to character four, which is the king, and Bob doesn't go for the whole round, then you guessed it. Yes, the assassin's murdered the correct person. But the king may actually be in the discard pile. And so the assassin may have um, murdered someone who's uh, not appearing in this round, which is where I really liked that element of trying to guess who was who and still trying to build up your city by either getting gold or the cards. Um, And this is a very poor run through from someone who's played it once. What are your thoughts, (laughs) gents? Uh, Yeah, I I really like it. Um, Like you say, I really like the second guessing side of it where... You can kind of, um, you got some information, but not a lot. So you can work out what people might have picked up. And it's quite, uh, it's quite good when you kind of guess correctly and you, you pick the right one. The, the, the assassin makes somebody skip their turn. So you basically kill them and they don't get to do anything that turn. And that seems, seems really powerful. But when you pick the assassin, you don't get a bonus action. Like with some of the other characters, you get, like a, you know, you get a cheaper card, or you can swap your cards out for something else. You get something else to do, but with the assassin, you don't get to do anything else. So it's it's bad for somebody else, but it's a bit bad for you as well. There's actually a, there's actually two versions of the game. There's a there's an older version, which is um, the one that I've got, which is just like the basic card game with an expansion in it. I think it is, but there's a newer one as well, which has got like extra characters. It's got a lot more characters, and it's got some tiles that you put in the middle. Uh, and they tell you what the characters do, so if you can swap them out for each game, put different characters in, things like that. It gives it a bit of longevity. Yeah, I've I've seen some games where people will pick the same role each turn, so they'll pick the king, and then they'll pick the king again, and they'll pick the king again, and you think, oh, somebody somebody should pick up the assassin and, and stop him from doing that because he's getting loads of you know he's getting loads of money for his yellow buildings or whatever. But so, then you think, oh, well, if not, it, it's always somebody else should do that, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> somebody else do it. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I'm picking the warlord. Yeah. I'm doing something else. <laughs> so is that as well? Yeah, and, and they get away with being the king every time because nobody wants to nobody wants to jump in and stop them. Yeah, the the way that the characters interact and the order is quite important. And yeah, there is a bit of take that where sometimes you will have to skip your turn or sometimes you'll lose all your money or possibly a couple of bad things will happen all at once. Yeah, there's, there's no avoiding that, is there, with this game. So there is there is a bit of that. Yeah, you, you, your warlord can destroy some of your buildings, so you could have spent like a few turns building a nice big building and then the warlord will come along and, you know, pay a couple of coins and knock it out from under you. So there, there is a bit of interaction there and, and that can be off-putting, I think, for some people. But I, I quite like that. I quite enjoy it. And, and again, this is quite a small box. The one that I've got is a, it's like a, a smallish box because it's just some cards and a couple of coin tokens, a few coin tokens. Um, so it's easy to carry around and stuff. Yeah, it's a good one. And, and it plays seven, is it? It plays it to seven, this one? Or is it eight, possibly? Uh, well, I finally managed to get to uh, play Wingspan. 
every week at the club I walk past someone playing wingspan. Ah, I've got to play that one time. I've got to play that eventually, <laughs> you know, because this is the um, was it Spielders Yards? It must have been Kenneth Spielders Yards winner this year. Yeah, it's the it's the Kenneth yeah. Spiel, yeah. So the yeah. Connoisseurs Game of the Year, according to some German people, uh, and, it, and, it, <laughs> I, and I've finally got to play it, and it is, in fact, very good. Uh, um, have you mm. actually played it? Uh, I've played it once, but it is um, it is a beautiful object. It's got uh, mm. little. Uh, well, the first thing you notice when you get the, open the box is, is the eggs. It's got a bunch of eggs which just look like those little um, candy eggs. What they got? Mini eggs. Uh, <laughs> don't play it with any any young people because they will immediately pop in their mouths. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, all the components are beautiful. And the gameplay is just flows very nicely, and it's quite simple. I mean, we read through the rule book in ten minutes, and then the rest of the game we didn't need to look at it. It was so simple. The first time we picked it up, just it just just went straight in, and it just it, all the all the things you need to know are written on the cards. The actual um, game itself, uh, I'll give a quick description. It's a, sort of an engine building thing because. You start off, you've got uh, your player mat in front of you, and you've got eight cubes in your colour. These are your actions. So on your on your turn, you take one of your cubes and put it in a place and do the action. And you've got four different actions you can do. Uh, you can put it at the top of your board, and that's play a bird card. And that's put it onto your board. And then the next row is you get food. And then the next row is you get eggs onto a bird card. And next row is get more bird cards. So they're all fairly simple. But as you go through the the game, each of these actions gets more and more powerful. Because when you're playing a bird card, you're putting it uh, either in the the forest or the grassland or the wetland, which is the place where you're selecting the actions. So if you put it in the forest, then that's where you're selecting the get food action. And suddenly your get food action is more powerful because you're selecting something further along the road to start with so instead of just getting one food you might be get one food and you can pay a card to get another food or later on it's get two food or whatever but in addition to that action the bird cards that you've placed down there might have a an action that happens when you've chosen that row so you choose that and you get food and then you move to the next bird card down which says Took a card under here for a point at the end of the game, and then you move to the next one, which is roll the dice and see whether you get more food. And then you move to the next one, and it says uh, draw a card and get an egg. So by the end of the game, you've got uh, instead of just doing that action, you do the action and all the other effects that, uh, that you've attached to it. So it's um, it builds up into a big sort of engine building thing. And if, you, if you've got the right birds down, uh, then they uh, turn into combos. So yeah, um, I had one in the uh, last game where I had on my eggs row, I had I activated the eggs power, so I get some eggs on on my bird cards, and then the next one allows me to spend an egg to get a card, and then the next one says uh, took a card to get a to get some more uh, some more points, and. So eventually, I've ended up with more eggs, more cards, and more points just from that one one power. Each round, you're aiming for some something to get bonus points, but then at the end of the game, you add up all your points because each bird card you put down uh, has a certain amount of points on it. So you could aim for the uh, fairly low value ones that are easy to get down, but might have, give you something along the way, or you could aim for the ones that have got uh, big points. It it doesn't didn't seem in our first round first um play of it to have any dominant strategy i mean you you can't just sort of go right i'm getting food i'm getting more food i'm getting more food i'm getting more food you you have to keep on trying different things and the the cards you put down sort of inform what you're going to do so i ended up having a powerful egg engine and polly ended up having a powerful food engine or something everything just flowed really nicely it was just um it was a lovely game experience, just because everything just made sense, and it's got a bird box. It's got a little uh, cardboard dice tower that you fit together, and it's in the shape of a bird box, and you put the dice in there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know that's just you nice. Put, put the dice in, don't you? And the food comes yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we played it, yeah, I think we found the same thing. Yeah, um, 
not not only is it really really well produced. I mean, the dice are great. The the bird box and the dice um, dice tower thing is great. Um, the the actual graphic design of it is good as well. Mm-hmm. All the icons make sense. You, you've got like your own personal board in front of you, which is all you know coded. You've got the 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 river at the bottom, which shows you where you know the wetlands birds go and the oh, and every, forest. Every card is a unique. So it's all really obvious. The, all they're all beautifully illustrated. Yeah, yeah. All the, and it's a big deck as well, isn't it? It's a, a huge deck of, car- deck of cards yeah. that have all got different Everyone unique, yeah. birds on. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I I found the same when I played it. Yeah, I just really enjoyed getting that engine going and sort of building it up. And I th- as far as I remember, the, the scoring cards in the middle make that make you sort of follow that as well. So, you, you, you know, one round you're trying to get a certain number of birds or another one you might be trying to get something in particular to match these scoring cards so you can sort of ignore it in this particular round and work towards it, the, the next round that's coming up so they're all available to see for everybody, which makes it good as well. Yeah, and you've got your own... Um You've got your own endgame bonus cards you've got in secret as well. So they kind of inform what you're trying to go for. So, like, I might be trying to get lots of cards in the wetlands or with a particular shape of nest or something. The, the eggs, I think, they're kind of rounded. Uh, sorry, they're flattened off at the bottom, so they, yes, don't, so they, you know, they, they kind of they, sit on your board. Roll off. But we, nice. did, we did find that a couple ended up on the floor that we had to, we had to hunt for, <laughs> just, just, just purely by, you know, knocking them off or rolling them somewhere. That was a bit, bit entertaining. But, um, yeah, it's not, not a big problem. I think that's the, the worst thing I can say about it, really. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's a good game. You can see why it's, um, uh, why it's won the award. Yeah, it's a clever game. It works very well. It's uh, it's one of these. I think um, games these days are more optimized towards the first play than they used to be. It used to be that you'd get a game mm. and you'd only really be playing it after like two or three times of trying it. But these mm. days, you ha- they have to sort of hit the ground running. And this is this is one mm. where it really works for that. I mean, you can the first game yeah. is really enjoyable. And I'm sure the next game will be really enjoyable. Did did it come with uh, trays as well? Didn't it come with some trays to hold some of the tokens and bits and things? Yeah, there's a, a slightly unnecessary plastic place to put three cards out. Uh, so it's just uh, the top of one of the trays mm-hmm. also has a, a slot for each of these cards. But but yeah, all the all the components in little plastic trays. It's, I think the um, it's been nice because um, Elizabeth Hargrave, the designer of this, she's uh, is her, her first published game and she's been very active on social media so uh, you know on twitter and giving interviews and everything but it's been nice sort of watching mm. her journey because it's just been a se- sequence of amazing events happening to her like oh good i've got a i've got mm. a game published with uh stone my games it's a great publisher fantastic oh uh, new york times have got an article about me oh margaret atwood's co- quoted it oh no oh i've won a prize <laughs> oh my god it's just um uh, are you aware of Button Shy's Wallet series? They have a series of very, very small card games, uh, as in 18 cards only, nothing else, and they come in a little plastic wallet. Um, so she's done one for them. And um, yeah, and it's, so it's obviously very different to this massive, sprawling 100 plus card plus lots of tokens <laughs> game. Uh, and it's called Tussie Mussy, which I discussed on a. On our pilot, which was never published, you know? <laughs> but yes, it's a it's a little game about uh, the Victorian flower language, and it's uh, very strange. You know, the when I say flower language, there's a sort of um, a mini fad in the middle of the Victorian era where someone decided to allocate meanings to flowers, so you could send a message to you, your loved one. So instead of sending a message saying uh, I am always thinking of you. You send a a tulip, which means that, or something. I think it's, mm. it's a Victorian version yeah. of memes. I'm not sure, but yeah, um, it's a it's a bizarre subject. Uh, so obviously, game designers' antenna started twitching, and thought well, that's something I'm going to make a card of. Uh, get game make um each card is a different uh, flower. Fantastic. Okay, so uh, the next section then, uh, we've got a recording from a, a club event. One of our uh, members, Craig, he's been playing a game. This game's called Lock Up, and uh, here he is now to talk about it. Okay, uh, what's your name, please? Uh, it's Craig. Uh, what have we been playing tonight? Uh, so tonight we've played a game called uh, Lock Up. What's it about? So, Lock Up um, is a game by Stanislav Kordonsky. Um, it's the guy who did the role player games, if you've played those. Uh, it's basically about 
being a boss within uh, a prison to fancy game. So you have um, a number of goons in your gang, and the idea is to use those goons to do things like uh, make tools to uh, improve your station or hire more powerful goons to help you out. Um, uh, and each round there are three phases that you have to play. So the first phase is basically putting your goons in the various locations around the board. Uh, the second phase is we use those locations um, and they are always activated in the same order and the first location determines the first player which can have a big change on the rest of that particular phase. Um, and then the third phase is we check to see whether we've triggered a, a raid by uh, the guards. If we have then they come looking for the most suspicious player and that player loses a number of reputation uh, and then basically we play we repeat that for six rounds uh, the person who's got the most reputation at the end of the game is top goon top winner oh. and it's um it's by the same people who did role play but it's a different game isn't it it's it is yeah play differently yeah yeah it's, i've not played one like this before but yeah it's by the same people who did role players so there is some rules uh such as the end game goal bonuses that you can get uh, and the races that you they're in this game they're in the role player games as well so there is a bit of a crossover and so it's nicely thematic uh, it works very well plays in about an hour it plays uh, from one to five players which is always good to have games that you can play one on and, and have more than four which is the standard so it's a very very well made game brilliant thank you very much thanks Greg no Okay, so that was uh, Craig talking about a game called Lockup. Um, I, I played this with him as well. Um, this is a, a worker placement game by the same people who made a game called Role Player. Uh, have you have you played Role Player at all? Not played it. That's the one way you sort of turn the character creation part of D and D into a game itself, and then you end up with character. Yeah, no, not played that. Yeah, it's like a, a dice drafting game where you get some dice together and you kind of build your character up and you. You have certain traits and things, but this is completely different. This is set in the same universe. Um, I think that's pretty much it then. So um, we've been uh, we've been going on for for long enough now. So <laughs> shall we wrap it up there? Uh, thank you, thank you to all our listeners for listening. Thank you to Tom C for joining us and Tom L as well as always. Thank you very much. It's been a like pleasure it. listening to you. Uh, you can contact us, um, especially if you have any questions or if you want to ask us anything. If you have any, um, uh, if you've got any uh, suggestions for our question of the week, uh, you can contact us via the email. It's sheffieldboardgamers at gmail dot com. Um, you can send us a message on Facebook. You can send us a message on Twitter, uh, whichever you prefer. You can come into the forums and drop us a message on there. Okay, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.